sing. We're going to sing our Bible verse today. Beloved, let us love one another. Come on, beloved. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, First John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. Kale's not here. James. Oh, James, you brought your Bible. Awesome. Okay. So my Bible's here, boys and girls, because I brought it up in my treasure box, right? Come on, boys. It's okay. You can come too, Dad. You're, you're not too big. I mean, you're big, but David and Goliath. There you go, right there. So in my Bible, there's a story, and it's a story about David and Goliath. Now, you know, in the Bible, the stories are not just the stories, right? They're not just like any other story you've read. They are real things that have happened, and God let men write them down so that we could see how wonderful God is. And this is true about the story of David and Goliath. It's teaching us about God, okay? Every story is teaching us about God. 
So I brought something in my treasure box. I wonder what's in here. What's in here? Now, I borrowed these two bags from James. I didn't take your candy, by the way, James. This was leftover candy from the Harvest Festival. Okay? So, yeah, these are two bags of Halloween candy. You can hear it just shaking around in here. And I wanted to use these two bags of Halloween candy to tell you the story of David and Goliath. And I titled my story, Victory is Sweet. Okay? Victory is Sweet. So, this bag is going to represent... Goliath and the Philistines, and this is going to represent, okay, and this is going to represent David and uh, all the people of Israel, okay? All right, so here we go. I got the, I didn't want to call him bad guy and good guy at this point, okay? You'll see, you'll understand. So both of these countries, both of these groups of uh, armies had, had, you know, soldiers. They had the soldiers. Both sides had soldiers, Okay. All right. Now, these soldiers were very vocal. That means they, they talked a lot. They yelled a lot. They were very loud about their uh, army and how they were going to win. You know, and they were saying, oh, we're going to get you guys. But these guys <clears throat> on the other side, you didn't hear a peep. Now, it wasn't unusual back in those days to like uh, armies come together. There was some kind of honor in war and you kind of like, you decided when you were going to war each other, you know, when you were going to fight. So sometimes they would say, hey, we'll send out our best warrior, and you send out your best warrior, and that way less people get killed. You know, just the two fight it out, and then you decide who the winner is, and then you decide how you're going to work out things after that, okay? So these guys sent out their warrior, and he was very big, and his name was Goliath. In fact, in fact, he had other names. They called him. They called him Big Thunder. That's right, Big Thunder. You don't remember that part? That was in the revised, uh, revised, revised standard, traditional, untraditional Bible. They called him that, and he was famous for saying, he was famous for saying, I'm going to crunch your bones. I'm going to crunch your bones. He was really big. See how big he is? Steve is just drooling over there, huh? You wish you had this in your servant. Now, on the other side, on the other side, to be honest with you, they didn't have a guy this big. They did not have, but they had, they had soldiers, they had warriors, you know. Sorry about the delay. But they sent out their, war- okay, so their warriors were more like this. Can you see the difference? Can you feel the intimidation? You know, it's either this or this. And I'm not talking about what you want to eat. But imagine if you were this guy, a regular soldier coming up and meeting this guy. Be like, uh, yeah, I don't think so. I'm going back to camp. Okay? So the soldiers were very afraid, boys and girls. They were really afraid of Goliath. But there was one guy that wasn't afraid of Goliath. You remember his name? David. Okay. I got David right here. You got to look real carefully to see David. There's David. You know, David, when David saw Goliath, he wasn't intimidated. Isn't that amazing? Look at that. This is you. This is God. I mean, this is Goliath. This is Goliath. This is you. Wow. I would be intimidated right away. In fact, some people say, David, you know what? You can't go out there like that. This is ridiculous. So they put on the king's um, armor. And even with the king's armor, he looked like this. See how it says king size up there? They tried to make him a king size 
It still did. Look, David said, this armor's too heavy. I don't need this armor. I have something way bigger than Goliath. What was way bigger than Goliath, boys and girls? Was way bigger. God. You know, you wonder how the other soldiers missed it. God is so big. Sometimes we sing that song. Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. But somehow they missed it. But David said, I don't need that. That's just going to get in the way. David said, there's little David, right? Not intimidated by Goliath. David said, look, all right? David said, look, look. And you know what, boys and girls, sometimes we don't look, and we don't see God, and we, and we forget that he's here with us. But David said, look, God is with us. Why are you acting afraid? God spoke to David. You know what God told David? Take five. <laughs> he said, take five. And you know what David did? He took five smooth stones from the, riv- from the stream or the river. Yeah? He took five, boys and girls. Because he listened to God, right? Instead of listening to Goliath and the other guys. David went with his five little stones. He didn't even need five, but he took five. Look, boys and girls. David took his sling and he spun. He spun. Oh, where's my five stones? There they are. The five stones. See? A, A pack of three and a pack of two makes five. He took one and he spun it in his sling and he fired it off. He hit Goliath. What happened to Goliath? He fell down, down, down. Boom. He must have made a big noise when he hit the ground, right? And David turned around and said, there's good news. There's good news. Our God is bigger than Goliath. And boys and girls, is that true today? Is our God bigger than anything? Is he? He is. Any problem, any trouble, anything that comes against you, God is bigger Remember that. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's close our eyes. Thank you, God, for being big, being powerful. Thank you for being close to us, protecting us in all things. Help us to look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Victory is sweet, boys and girls. You may go to Children's Church. Now, I don't want to see everyone rushing that box after service today. Do you look to God all the time? You know, when you do, it's comforting. When you do, it's, it reinforces that security of who God is and how he operates in your life. When you don't look, sometimes you forget he's there. But he's there, yeah, whether we look or not. We need to look to God.
us in spite of our doubt and in spite of the way we don't look to you. Thank you for reminding us through your word how depending on you makes things work out. So I pray, Lord, that we'll just be that kind of person, the person that turns to you first, not not in the last breath of our emergency, but from the beginning, depending on you in all things, counting on you. In this place this morning, Lord, we bring an offering. It's really not much of a sacrifice to us, not in the way that you have given, but it can represent our hearts as we lay things before you and lay them down from our hands in this world. So help us, Lord, to give more and more of ourselves over to you and our things so that the work that this church and, and outside of this church is being done to further your kingdom and to you know express your love to others. So We thank you for a time of giving. May you bless the giver's heart as you draw us close to you in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1952, a young woman named Florence Chadwick went head-to-head with her giant. She was attempting to be the first woman to swim the 26 miles from Catalina Island to the California coastline. As she swam, she was flanked by small boats that were there to protect her from sharks or help her in case she ran into trouble. After 15 hours, a thick fog settled in and she could no longer see where she was heading. She became disoriented and discouraged and she told her mother, who was in one of those boats, that she didn't think that she could make it. Yet, on she swam for another hour. And finally, after 16 hours in the water, 
Still no coastline in sight due to the fog, she asked to be pulled out of the water. And as she sat there on that boat, she discovered that she had given up only several hundred yards from shore. When she learned of this, her comment was, all I could see was hopeless. The giant had won. A year later, though, Florence Chadwick faced her giant again, only this time she defeated it, crossing the channel and setting a woman's distance record in swimming. You know, from time to time, we all face those giants in life in one form or another, challenges that can seem so big, so overwhelming, we feel like we don't have any hope of defeating them. They come in all shapes and sizes. It can be an illness, death of a loved one, the loss of a job, stacks of unpaid bills, marital problems, depression, a broken friendship, addiction. Almost anything can take on giant proportion when we begin to feel it's too big to overcome. And like Florence Chadwick, when we give in to our fear and our discouragement, when our hope is lost, the giant wins. That's what was threatening to happen to the people of Israel in the passage I'm reading this morning found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Because their once bright hope was quickly beginning to fade, giving way to a fear and a discouragement, in this case, in the face of their giant named Goliath. And even though the story really is a little gruesome, the story of David and Goliath is one of the best known and loved stories in all the Bible. The story begins with Israel's ancient foe, the Philistines. Philistines were seafaring people whom archaeological evidence suggests migrated there from the region of Crete and Greece. They settled along the sea and they established five major cities of Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, and Gath. And then as their numbers increased, they began expanding inland, which brought them into conflict with the Hebrews as they were competing for the same land. And the Philistines remained a thorn in Israel's side for several hundred years. They were the same people Joshua had fought against 300 years previous to David, the same ones Samson had fought against, and now the ones Saul and his armies are facing in the Valley of Elah. Now, in fact, before their arrival in that area, that region was primarily known as the land of Canaan. After they began settling there, it became known as the land of the Philistines, or in the Hebrew, or translation from the Hebrew, Palestine. Palestine and Philistines are the same Hebrew root. 1 Samuel begins in chapter 17, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokah in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephesdamin, between Sokah and Azekah. And Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. Coming from Greece, they were far more technologically advanced than the nomadic Jews. Unlike the Philistines who had metal swords and spears, helmets and armors, the Jewish the Jews relied primarily on homemade weapons, little more than converted farm instruments. In chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, it says that with the exception only of Saul and his son Jonathan, no one in Israel had sword or spear, 
certainly no helmet or armor. It gave the Philistines a distinct advantage. And while Israel might win some battles, the Philistines always seemed to come back bigger and stronger than before, which is certainly the case here. As the story continues, it says, A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. And on his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and his iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. To give you an idea of that, the New Living Translation translates it into our weights and measures. It says, he was over nine feet tall, he wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He wore bronze leg armor and carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's being tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds, and his armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. By comparison... The average height of a Jewish male in that day was about five foot two inches. A scary sight. How do you fight a giant almost twice your height? Add to that the description of his weapons and his armor. It was a fearful, fearsome sight. Goliath, it says, was his champion, their secret weapon. Or to put it in the language of Marvel Comics, he was their supervillain. It says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. He's not just challenging them, he's taunting them, he's mocking them, calling into question their manhood, accusing them all of being cowards, too afraid to even fight him. And he did have a point. As appearances go, Goliath was frightening. And it had its desired effect. Israel wasn't just nervous about him, they weren't just afraid, they were, it says literally, terrified. They were bordering on panic. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 11, it says, On hearing the Philistines' word, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. In verse 16, it says, That taunting, that intimidation went on for 40 days as every morning and every evening he would come out and issue his challenge. And in verse 24, it says, Whenever they saw Goliath, the Israelites fled from him in great fear. It was just too much to face. They were defeated before they even began. Now, a number of scholars have written that as terrifying as he appeared, all his armor was mainly to play with Israel's minds. Because no matter how big he was, think about it, with armor and weapons weighing almost 150 pounds, it would have been awkward, it would have made him slow and ineffective in hand-to-hand combat. That's often how our giants are, though. We get paralyzed by appearance. We fall for their lies that we are too small, we are too weak to resist. We don't matter. We don't have what it takes. We don't have anything to offer. We're a failure. No use even trying. And when we start to listen to the giants, we give up before we start. 
You know, a University of Michigan study found that 60% of our fears are unwarranted. 20% have already become past events. They're completely out of our control. 10% are so petty they don't make any difference at all. And of the remaining 10%, only 4 to 5 are real and justifiable. Still, the world and the devil want us to believe that our problems, that our failures, that our weaknesses that we're so small and insignificant, we just can't do anything about it. So we lose hope, we give up, we withdraw into ourselves, we seek some way of escape, losing ourselves in things we know we shouldn't be looking at on the internet, going places we know we shouldn't be going to, trying to sedate ourselves, not just through drugs or alcohol, but binge eating, binge TV watching, like what was happened, threatening to happen to Israel, we begin to lose hope. We give up and we run away because our giants just seem too big. At last, such times we lose before we start. Where is God in the midst of all of that? Where is our faith that realizes that no matter how big the giant, regardless of what happens, even if the giants are real and too much for us to handle, God is still there. He will never leave us or forsake us, Jesus said. What Israel needed was a champion of their own. They needed their own superhero to face the supervillain. And they had one, or they were supposed to. His name was Saul. If you remember back in 1 Kings chapter 8, when they asked for a king, the reasons they gave for wanting a king was so they could be like other nations, so that they could have a king to lead them and go before them, and they could have a king to fight their battles for them. They wanted a hero, and they got Saul, who is described as without equal in all of Israel, head and shoulders taller than everyone else, and yet now next to Goliath, he's a midget. And as the giant taunts, where's their hero? He's hiding out in his tent, making promises, offering extravagant gifts to bribe someone to go out and fight Goliath for him. Because in 1 Samuel 17, 25, it says, Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. And the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage. And he will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. They needed not just a champion, they needed a superhero. Someone with superhuman powers to save them from this supervillain. And Saul was willing to hire one. And as we've seen, superheroes really can be a big business, at least in the movies. Over the past eight years, do you realize Marvel has grossed almost $11 billion on superheroes and supervillains? And that's only from domestic and worldwide theater ticket sales for the last 13 movies. It doesn't account for profits from TV, streaming, DVD, pay-per-view, spin-off TV, and Netflix programs. And now with Doctor Strange release this weekend and 13 others planned, those profits are going to keep climbing. Superheroes are big business. Look at what our children want to dress as in Halloween And who of us, as a child, hasn't tied around a towel on our neck and jumped off the sofa pretending to fly? A recent poll asked 9,000 people, 
If you were given a chance to have one superpower, what would it be? And they gave choices like incredible luck, super intelligent, genie-like magic, super strength, invisibility, x-ray vision, the ability to fly, spider senses, reading minds, and invulnerability. The number one answer, you know what it was? Being able to fly. If they could have chosen, I bet, as Goliath came out and taunted them, I bet the Israelites would have chosen invisibility. (laughs) Interestingly, just this week I read about a woman in California named Donna Higby who's conducting what she calls extensive ongoing research in a phenomenon called human spontaneous involuntary invisibility. It's true. It's based on the belief that some people claim to suddenly and unexpectedly disappear for brief periods of time. And the most common examples given are people who point out how people will totally ignore them at the most unpredictable times as if they didn't even exist. Like a 37-year-old man who said it happened to him at a party. He went into the bathroom, and when he came out, he tried to engage several people in conversation, including his own girlfriend, and he was completely ignored as if he wasn't there. He figures they're playing a joke on him, so he goes back in the bathroom, comes out, and it's as if nothing had happened. They can see him again. Or the woman who said her husband was running all over the house looking for her while she was sitting on the sofa the whole time. Of course, that lends itself to bad jokes, like the nurse who told the doctor there's a woman waiting for him in the waiting room, and he said, tell her I can't see her today. I can't see her. Come back tomorrow. As the story, though, of 1 Samuel continues, Jesse has three sons, his oldest sons, who are in the army. He pulls David, his youngest son, from the fields where he's tending sheep, and he sends them to check on his brothers and to take them some food. Right when he gets there, says the two armies are lining up against each other, Goliath steps out, he issues his challenge, David hears the insults, He sees the fear on the army's face. He witnesses them running away. And in verse 26, it said, When David heard this, he asked, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The king hears about this. And he sends for David, and in verse 32, it says, David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant, I, will go out and fight him. And Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He was probably still a teenager. And he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. And the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Here you see another one of those contrasts that we talked about last week between David and Saul. The main reason why Saul failed while David became known as a man after God's own heart. Saul wanted to fight the giant on the giant's terms. 
Where was God in it? It says, Saul then dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him, a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened down his sword over his tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. You're going to fight a giant, you've got to use the giant's weapons. That's the challenge we all face against our own giants. The temptation is always to face them on the world's term and forget about God. We treat prayer like it's little more than accessory when we have the time, not really making, believing that it can make a difference in our lives. Or we fail to pick up the sword of the Spirit, which Paul calls is the Word of God, because we're too busy thinking we have to make better use of our time. We refuse to meditate or memorize Scripture, hiding God's Word in our heart like Jesus did when he faced Satan in the wilderness temptation, because we think it's too hard for us. The provisions God has made in providing the full armor of God, as it mentions in Ephesians, remain unused too often because we think we have to be strong and face the world's problems on our own. That we have to rely on the world's methods methods and values to succeed rather than the presence and the power of God. That's the way the world thinks. Fight fire with fire. Use its weapons to fight our battles. Meet strength with strength, sword with sword. If someone strikes you on the one cheek, we strike them back harder. Forget Jesus' words about turning the other cheek. If someone tries to take what we think is ours, make them pay. The world says we need to use its ways to deal with our giants. And when the giant's too big, when you're overmatched, give up. David realized the problem and refused to play along with that game. The battle against the giant isn't going to be won by the strength of arms, but by the hand of God. And so David says in verse 41, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off, he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Israel was looking for a superhero to fight for them, and they got a shepherd boy. Because it took a shepherd to remind them that the battle is not theirs, but the Lord's. David later wrote in Psalm 33, A horse is a vain hope for deliverance, despite all its great strength. It cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. Meanwhile, it says, the Philistine with his shield-bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Then in one of those truly amazing statements of scripture that showed David as a man after God's own heart. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, 
and he will give all of you into our hands. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. And so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Israel thought they needed a superhero. They got a shepherd. And that was enough. Because as he said, the battle's the Lord's anyway. It took a boy trained to watch sheep to remind them about God. About the one they claimed to have faith in. That despite the strength of arms and superior numbers, like Zechariah was told, it's not going to be by strength or by might, but by his power. Again, in Psalm 147, it says, His pleasure is not in the strength of a horse or his delight in the legs of a warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Whatever giants we face in life, we have to remember, regardless of the final outcome, we don't face them alone. As 1 John 5 says, every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Oh,